where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. No matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. And you are wanted and you are valued here. We have stories of faith that connect us, whether you're in Connecticut, Colorado, the United States, or Europe, or anywhere in the world. We have expanded our worship team for May, June, July, and August with a colleague, Mike Martin, who is the founder of Raw Tools in Colorado Springs. And Mike is joining us this morning with his reflection on Pentecost and his reading of scripture from a place of sanctuary for him. You'll see what I mean in a moment. I know you can't quite see me yet, but I thought we would use a little example here as we read scripture. This is Luke 2, 1 through 21. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues, as of fire, appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages, as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at this sound, the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one heard them speaking in native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? All of the different places they were from, Cretans and Arabs in our own languages, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others sneered and said, They are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing in the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not, they are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall share these visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy, and I will show potence, portents in the heaven above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire, and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Well, welcome to the Raw Tool Shop. I'll turn this off so you can hear me better. It's really great to be with you all on Pentecost. This is one of my favorite times of the year. Um, as I said before, this is the raw tool shop. This is where we turn our guns into garden tools. I live here in Colorado Springs with my wife, Hannah, and my two boys, Samuel and Henry. They're seven and three years old. And this actually gets to be 
uh, or is my dad's garage. So we blacksmithed together for the work of raw tools. My wife and I met in college in the Denver area. She grew up in a vineyard tradition and I grew up in an evangelical church, but a Mennonite household, not Amish. <laughs> Some people think when they hear Mennonite, it's all horse and buggies, but Mennonites are very much like a lot of other folks here in the churches. Both Mennonites and the vineyard tradition that my wife grew up in emphasize the work of the Holy Spirit, but it looks very different. As we observe Pentecost today, keep that in mind. I'm excited to tell you a story about how God claimed my heart for service, which at this point looks like raw tools. But first, there's some backstory. About 12 years ago, I lost my mom to suicide. I often reflect on different conversations that we had together, especially the conversations that we had when we talked about God. One in particular was this idea of coincidence, as I was, was arguing at the time, or what my mom would say, no, those are God things. Now, of course, she believed coincidence could happen, but she also believed that God worked behind the scenes, moving us in different directions or introducing us to different things to help us along the way. So I'm a very analytical person. It's really hard for me to live um, kind of into the unknown. I, I need like the logical progression for me to get places. But my mom didn't need that and I was always jealous of that. She was a prayer warrior. Uh, my dad was a great example of service and my mom was a great example of prayer. But really at the time, I really hadn't experienced life enough uh, to know the difference between coincidence and God things. I was still in high school. That conversation kind of progressed into college. But as we look back on the scripture, people gathered at the sound of the wind and the fire. I don't have these wind and fire moments in my story or these um, maybe clearly defined voices that talk to me to guide me in this direction that I feel called to with raw tools. But I do have a lot of little things that happened along the way that helped me live into this call that I feel God has on my heart. What I now know are God things. But people gathered as they heard this wind and this fire. On top of that, there was an instant translator that Google would be envious of. So much so, it was too good to be true that many observing it had to think that it was false. So much so that they're like, no, these people are drunk. They've had all the good wine. They've been out partying, partying all night. But Peter knew better. He had been doing the work of sowing the ground, planting the seeds that God had, had given through Jesus and spreading the good news of the gospel. gospel. Some of these little moments
are always shared with other people. Much like those people gathering around the wind and the fire shared it with others. They'll never forget that experience the rest of their life. And I'm sure it played a large part in the spreading of the early church at that time. Like I said, I don't have that aha moment. But I remember moments as I look back where I see God at work in my life. One of those was when I was a youth pastor at Bethel Mennonite Church here in Colorado Springs. We were hosting a restorative justice conference and raw tools was just an idea at the time. We knew we wanted to turn guns into garden tools, but we also knew that garden tools weren't gonna be what people used to defend themselves instead of a gun. So we wanted to teach the tools or practices that would help people bring safer communities and safer practices into their lives and their neighborhoods. And that's when I heard the story of Charletta Evans. She lost her three-year-old son to gun violence in a random drive-by shooting. She's the first person in Colorado to go through a high-risk victim-offender dialogue where 17 years later, she sat down with the, at the time, teen who pulled the trigger. Three years later, she would sit down with the driver of the car. It was through her story and then my deep dive into restorative justice that I heard about this idea of surrogates. That is when a victim who wants to go through a restorative justice process can't because the, the offender isn't ready or is unwilling. Another offender who might've committed a similar crime can sit in in this victim offender's place. Which connects us to another story, another little thing that now when I look back uh, along the way, I see God moving. Five years ago, uh, George Zimmerman, who took the life of Trayvon Martin, decided to auction the gun that he used. It was at that time that we tried to organize people and people were saying that they wanted to buy it so that we could turn it into a garden tool until we learned of how Mr. Zimmerman was going to use those funds. So we look back at this idea of surrogacy Instead of going after the gun that he was auctioning, we were going to put out a call for similar guns, similar handguns that people would turn in across the country. That led us on a cross-country drive on the way to an event in Kentucky to two and three different places in between there where we met donors who wanted to give up their guns. One was a youth pastor. He had just had a conversation with his church about whether or not they should arm ushers after receiving a threatening letter from the community. He put the Bible in front of his elders and asked him, asked them to show him where it is that God instructed us to arm ourselves to defend his church. Then he realized he was a gun owner himself and he heard about us looking for some handguns and volunteered his to be turned into a garden tool. One of the places we stopped along the way was Rainbow Mennonite Church in Kansas City. On top of that, not only was it five years ago, it was five years ago, Pentecost week. Pastor Ruth Harder had this to say. She shared this with me after I had, um, we had gone through this together. I'm going to read a blog she wrote. It was late Saturday night on Pentecost Eve, as I like to call it. All week I had been on the lookout for a modern day Pentecost story 
evidence that, as Molly T. Marshall writes, the Spirit of God is at work reversing twisted forms of love that consume the good, laboring toward the liberation of all oppressed. It was getting late and my sermon felt a little lifeless, so I kept reading and writing. That's when I saw an article posted on Huffington Post by Shane Claiborne titled, Beating Guns in Memory of Trayvon Martin, and I immediately felt the whoosh. This was a God thing to her. We, Claiborne writes, are going to take a nine millimeter pistol identical to Zimmerman's, beat it into a plow, auction it off, and donate that money to Trayvon Martin's family foundation. The we in this case referred to Raw Tools as an organization I had not heard about until the evening of May 14th. So imagine my surprise while scrolling through the Raw Tools website for the first time, a new message appeared in my rainbow email box with the subject line, Raw Tools meeting, time sensitive. The timing was so weird. I almost didn't open it, but I'm glad I did because it was a note from the director of Raw Tools, Mike Martin. I wrote to her, I have an urgent request. You may be familiar with the George Zimmerman auctioning the gun he used to kill Trayvon Martin. Shane Claiborne and us at Raw Tools are creating a response by getting a surrogate gun and auctioning a tool we made from it to support the Trayvon Martin Foundation. We have a gun donor that is able to meet us on our way to another event and we need a public space to meet him. In the past, we have used parking lots at churches to plug in a saw and cut the guns to disable them. We need to do this to comply with the law. Would you or someone at Rainbow Men and I be willing to meet us at the church to do this? It should take about 20 minutes. If you are unable, might you be able to refer us to another church? Thanks for your time and peace be with you. I had also asked that we not announce this to the whole congregation because that point, at that point, the gun donor wanted to remain anonymous. Ruth goes on to say, it was a rainy Monday evening when Michael and his traveling mate Mary Sprunger Fraze arrived along with the gun donor. We met in the church and in the church shed and stood in amazement at these, as these two nine millimeter pistols were disabled. It felt like we were standing on holy ground as we watched the sparks fly. Truly a Pentecost moment in my book. She goes on to have a video of the saw cutting up the gun. I didn't know anything about this with Ruth as she shared that story with me later. What I did know is that this is the first time we had ever gone outside our comfort zone at Raw Tools to take a gun donor um, and meet them that we didn't know. At that time, Raw Tools had only been existing for about three years. And at that, we were very, uh, we're not nearly as active as we are now. So we've been working through relationships, people we knew, gun donors we knew, gun donors who knew someone we knew, so there was a lot of level of trust that was built in. But this is the first time that we were meeting in a church parking lot we had never been at with a gun donor we had never met before. And rightly so, they went through a, a discernment process to decide, to decide if this would be right uh, for their church to do. And they had some elders and Pastor Harder meet us in a parking lot with this gun donor. It's when I reflect on stories like this, that in the moment don't feel like those fire and wind moments like we hear from this forge. But when you look back on them, that's how I experience the spirit mostly in my life. I'm really jealous of folks a lot like my mother who had the awareness to know that they were in those moments when they happened. I have not been so fortunate for that. While raw tools may be recognized as my call, I've realized along the way in my work 
what the real call is to, is to be present with each other. Specifically, raw tools is to be present with those who have experienced gun violence in our communities. I feel like we are all called to be the fire, but with skin on. Like in the story in Acts, tongues of fire went and kind of like laid their hands on people and went with them as they went out and spread the good news. Some people get wind and fire like my mom and other people get pieces along the way. For me, I've experienced the spirit more as a force that picks me up more than one that guides me, that I'm aware of saying to go in this direction or that. I've often thought that there are many great options in front of us and that the spirit will be with us, whichever option we choose. The fire will encourage us and it'll test us, but it will refine us. At our events, we see the fire in this forge as the presence of God. We see it as the refining fire. When I was a youth pastor, one of our, uh, the things that we got to do was open up a new youth room and the youth got to decide what to paint it. So they went red, but instead of going all the way to the top of the ceiling, they, they stopped and right at the border, they did little flames of fire. Of course, there were people in our church who didn't like that and thought that it was a lot like hell. Well, that gave us the opportunity to talk about fire in the positive way that we see in the Bible, which is the refining fire. But on top of that, when we have the, the gun barrels in the forge, they're getting heated, but they're not being destroyed. They're being brought to a place where they can be reformed and reimagined. And I think that's what life is for us. So as we go through life, we have the fire that helps refine us, but we also have tools like the anvil and the hammer and the honk and the tongs that hold that hot metal. These pieces can represent different things in our life. For me, they've represented community. They've represented different experiences in my life that only afterwards am I able to see how they helped shape me to be who I am, to be the tool that God has called me to be in life. And for those of you who are being confirmed today, as you take this next step, Know that it, there is a community who is filled with the fire of Jesus and of God that are surrounding you and to support you along the way. And whether or not along the way you recognize when you're in those God thing moments, my prayer is that you are able to uh, share them with the community because they are all happening with those around us. Amen.